Hello and welcome to the Investment Week podcast where we analyse the biggest investment news stories and speak to leading investors about the most important issues on their minds. I'm your host Anna Fedorova. I am the Deputy News Editor of Investment Week. Investment Week has been the premier publication serving professional investors in the UK since 1995. You can find out more about us by visiting www.investmentweek.co.uk. In our April podcast, we're talking about the UK general election. This year's general election has been hotly contested and the outcome remains very uncertain, with some polls suggesting it's the closest one to call in 20 years. Many market commentators have worried about how uncertainty in the run-up to the election could hit asset prices, but so far the FTSE index um, is still at record highs above 7,000, although sterling has been unsettled, um, falling against the dollar earlier in the month. Now, how far could election uncertainty spook the markets? Joining us in the studio to discuss this topic is James Dowie, Chief Economist at Neptune Investment Management. Hello, James. Hi, Anna. Now, what has been happening in the equity and gilt markets in the run-up to the election, and what can we expect to see from here? Well, as you say, equity markets haven't been hit all that much. Um, Year-to-date, FTSE's up about 8%. Or so, even in the last six weeks, where the election has started to bear on the minds of investors um, much more, it's still up two um, percent or so. Um, certainly, been more choppy in the past few weeks than earlier in the year, um, but doesn't seem to be uh, so far um, struggling um, too much. I, I, I don't think that's a great sign. Actually, I think there's, um, I, I think there's some air that can come out of that between now and the election. Um, the gilt market. Um, is, is it looks less affected than the equity market, actually. And I think there's, that speaks to an important point. I, I don't, although we've got two very different potential paths um, for the UK government on the other side of this election, one um, really more left-wing than we've had for a while, and the other a continuation of a centre-right um, path, um, I, I, I don't think these paths, these, these different paths speak um, much to, uh, in either case, um, risk in, in, in the gilt market. I think if you're um, looking at uh, the outlook for the gilt market at present, it's much more important um, uh, what is happening growth-wise um, and what the Bank of England um, are intending um, to do. And from the point of view of investors, are there any sectors in particular that um, they should be avoiding if volatility looks set to pick up? So, for example, maybe those exposed to government spending or something like that? Sector-specific risks are really the risk of um, a um, leftward shift in the government and then a more um, left-wing treatment of big business. And I think what you're looking for in terms of which sectors um, they are, you're looking for the perceived villains of the past five years, the perceived villains of the cost-of-living crisis. Now, those would be um, the banks. So we still have a very strong um, narrative of um, the bankers having put us in this mess and having not paid enough for it. The utilities, which have been at the centre of the cost of living um, squeeze. Um, but also, I think you need to look um, at uh, at um, parts of um, corporate UK that um, would otherwise have benefited from increasing privatisation, which wouldn't benefit in that way under Labour. So I think outsourcing companies. Um, uh, are, are, are prime candidates there. Um, in addition, we've heard very market unfriendly um, narrative um, from Labour on the gambling industry and also recently on property developers. 
So those would be the sector-specific risks um, arising from a um, end to business as usual and a leftward shift. And what could the impact on the pound be of um, this upcoming election? Well, we talked about the equity markets having um, behaved fairly benignly um, in the face of, uh, of the election so far. Same for the gilt markets. We've seen much more action in the currency markets, actually. So um, since the start of March, when um, when the election started to um, uh, come on the radar, we've seen um, sterling down 3% against the dollar, another um, 3% also against um, the yen, up against the euro, but there are there are big things going on in the euro, uh, namely QE, um, uh, which explains that. But on a trade-weighted basis, um, on, on, against a basket of currencies um, weighted in, in terms of their relevance to the UK economy, sterling is down 1.5% since the start of March. Now, this is a function of the uncertainty um, that, um, that, that, that you've mentioned. This is very, very um, important. There are highly market negative outcomes in the mix and the degree of uncertainty that we have about the actual outcome that we get means that we just we can't rule out these um, uh, the, 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 these bad outcomes for the market. So what I think that means is that sterling will be under continued pressure uh, between now and the election. And of course, we've now seen each of the parties' manifestos, so perhaps it's easier to analyse what they mean for financial services and for the corporate sector more broadly. I think the market is looking at the menu and not seeing that anything's particularly uh, attractive here. I think uh, it's the, the classic ugly contest. It's a relative game. Um, large parts of the market, as I, as I described, um, will um, be put under pressure. Corporate profits will be hurt by a leftward shift, and that's a that that, that tends to be the story um, uh, uh, in, in 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 any election, and and it's certainly um, a part of the story um, today. However, a continuation um, of a conservative-led government um, portends um, the risk of Brexit, and that is a highly market um, un, un, unfriendly um, road. To go down, so the markets are looking at the two the two potential uh, main outcomes and seeing trouble down the road in, in either direction. So, is there an outcome then that would be best for for UK investors? I think, on balance, the outcomes that would be relatively market friendly would be a continuation of the Conservative Lib Dem coalition. I think that a Labour Lib Dem coalition would be fairly. Um, uh, well received by the markets in, in relative terms, as I mentioned, um, and then in contrast to, the, to those two outcomes, the, um, uh, the 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 highly market unfriendly would be a Labour government that is reliant on um, the SN and the SNP um, to push policy through, both because the SNP is much more left wing than today's Labour, and the market just won't want to be pulled so far in that direction and second you've obviously got the sort of spectre of a second Scottish um, referendum which the SNP um, won't quite admit to us is their goal but I think it takes somewhat of a leap of faith to believe believe that it isn't. And there has even been talk of a double election this year hasn't there um, and investors are understandably worried about the implications of this so how likely is this scenario and what impact could that have on the markets? So I think that um, some of those uh, potential outcomes that I've, um, that I've outlined are pretty stable. So I think a Lib Dem um, Conservative 
uh, continuation would be a stable government. I think Labour, Lib Dem would prove stable too. I think SNP Labour may well prove unstable. I think that um, Ed Miliband in this scenario would be put under a lot of pressure to give away very big concessions to the SNP. Now, I think only a very strong leader could ride out such a tricky um, political um, situation. And I, I, that's that's not a characteristic that, I, that sadly I, I, I would uh, ascribe to Mr Miliband. Now, you've already mentioned one of the key concerns with this election, which is the high probability of a referendum whether Britain should stay in the EU. Yeah. So is a Brexit from the EU a real possibility then? Yeah, I, I, I think that um, we're looking at about, as we, as we stand today, about a 25% chance of Brexit. Um, the way I come to this is that if you look at the most recent polls, there was a recent poll by Populous this week, I think, and basically put it neck and neck in terms of um, yes and no on Brexit, um, polling the British public. Um, so 50% chance. Now, you're only going to get a referendum if you get a um, Conservative-led government. And the probability of a Conservative-led government at present, I think you've got to put about a 50% um, chance on um, uh, 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 as well. So you multiply your 50% by your 50% and you get a 25% chance of Brexit, which is uh, which is meaningful for such a for such a big event to have um, you know, a meaningful probability attached to it. You know that's something that the market is going to have to take into consideration. Thank you very much for joining us, James. Pleasure. Thanks very much, Hannah. time for our news segment where we discuss some of the stories which have been making headlines lately and what they might mean for investors. I'm joined by Investment Week's Deputy Editor Hannah Smith. Firstly, we want to focus on investment trusts and take a detailed look at what has been going on at Alliance Trust, which has dominated news headlines lately. So Hannah, what exactly has been going on at Alliance Trust recently? Well, this has been a bit of a saga. Um, Alliance Trust is the UK's largest investment trust. It's got about three billion in assets under management. Um, And its largest shareholder is US hedge fund and activist investor Elliott Advisors. So this um, argument all began when Elliott proposed in March that it were three new executive, non-executive directors, which it wanted to appoint to the board. It also laid out a number of criticisms against the trust, um, including things like a doubling of administrative costs, um, overpaid directors, it pointed to underperformance on the trust, and that it was consistently trading on a wide discount relative to other trusts in its sector. In response, um, Alliance Trust defended its performance, argued its own board is perfectly fit for purpose, and it also questioned Elliott's motives. Since then, there have been a number of increasingly heated exchanges and several other industry figures have have waded into this argument. Since Elliott began putting pressure on the trust, um, Alliance has stepped up its own search for a new non-exec director. Uh, The shareholders are going to vote on these proposals uh, on the 29th of April, which is the date of the trust's AGM. And what does the industry think about this public war of words? Well, a sample of our readers seem to broadly support... um, Alliance Trust. A poll we conducted on our website found about half of respondents believe that Elliot is too short-term in its outlook, although a number of respondents did actually say that they do think Alliance Trust is in need of an overhaul. Uh, it's quite common to hear 
um, accusations of short-termism against activist investors, um, you know, that they're out to make a quick buck rather than having interests which are aligned with the long-term shareholders. But what's interesting about the Alliance Trust situation is that the tide seems to have turned against the board. And what we've got now is three external shareholder groups piling pressure on Alliance Trust by siding with Elliot on on some aspects of this. Um, In fact, Alliance Trust's own broker, JP Morgan Casanova, has even come out and proposed a formal review of the trust business model. Um, Wealth Management Association chair and also a former director of Alliance Trust, Tim Ingram, stepped into the fray recently and his comments, unfortunately, were were especially scathing. He pointed out that the chief executive of Alliance Trust, Catherine Garrett-Cox, has been paid £6 million for five years of what he referred to as dismal performance Um, and he noted that the trust has been persistently on a double-digit discount to NAV. Um, Alliance Trust has has made a number of efforts to restructure the portfolio. In the last three years, it's had more of a global thematic focus. Um, Peter McAllis and Simon Clements were brought in and they turned over the portfolio, made it more concentrated and added more of an ESG uh, focus, uh, ethical sort of focus to the the portfolio, which have helped performance, um, although analysts say it does still have a way to go. Investment Week's Alice Rigby interviewed Alliance Trust's Catherine Garrett-Cox ahead of the AGM, and this is what she had to say. We've been hugely encouraged by the support that we've had across our shareholder base. And at the end of the day, this is your opportunity to have a vote and to have a say on the future of our company. Now, sticking to the topic of trusts, um, we recently reported that discounts on several UK equity trusts have reached their widest points in 12 months. So, Hannah, what's the reason for this? Well, it's debatable, but analysts that we've spoken to have suggested this could actually be the start of some of the general election-related wobbles that people have been worrying about. Um, This move wider in discounts did actually coincide quite neatly with the release of the manifestos from the major political parties on the 13th and 14th of April. Um, But, you know, elections don't last forever. Even if we do end up with something of an uneasy coalition uh, in government, it it shouldn't dent the long-term investment case for the UK's corporate sector. So actually, if you are a long-term investor, buying those steady eddy investment trusts, you know, they're trading on chunky discounts right now, but they're still run by quality fund managers, such as Mark Barnett on the Keystone Trust, or Chris Kinder running Threadneedle UK Select. So actually, you know, these discounts could present quite a good buying opportunity. Um, Another possible explanation, uh, which has been offered by some analysts, uh, is that flows could have actually been diverted into a new addition to the investment trust sector, which is Neil Woodford's new offering, um, which at the time of recording um, was just finishing up its offer period. So perhaps flows into this new trust could explain why discounts on the, on the existing trusts have moved wider. That's all we have time for today. We would love to hear your comments and ideas for future podcasts if there are any particular topics you would like us to cover. You can contact me via email at anna.fedorova, that's spelled F-E-D-O-R-O-V-A, at incisivemedia.com. Thank you for listening.